welcome to the rugby bits. I don't know what to call this, like pieces. We're just going to do little bits of uh, little chats. Um, and, and this is the first of many. But I'm joined by Cooks and Tyler. Gents, how are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Nice to, nice to join the, what's it, the rugby bits and pieces or bits, bits. Bits and pieces. I like that. Tyler, you've nailed yeah. it. How are you, mate? Let's, let's go for rugby bits and pieces. I think that's a, that's a nice little catchy name for this. Yes, it's brilliant. Okay, we're gonna jump. We're gonna jump straight in. I uh, my topic and something that I want to talk about is about where South African rugby is, and more specifically around since the turnaround that Russie's brought. So it's more about Springbok coaches, um, what SA rugby has done better, where they really screwed the pooch, and all that sort of jazz. So we'll go back to to Jake White. So Jake White, fifty four. Test matches, he won 66%, but obviously he won the 2007 World Cup, um, won a couple of other goodies along the way. After that, Peter de Villiers, 48 test matches, 62% win, line series. He won the line series, right? It was him, yes. Then probably getting into a space that I think was a little bit dodgy, but from the Heineken-Mayer era. So Heineken-Mayer, 48 test matches, 66 win percentage, now a lot of the perception around Haneke is that his win percentage wasn't wasn't that good, um, but I mean it's it's up there. It's one one of the best. Then after that, Alice Kutia, um, twenty five matches, uh, no World Cup for him, forty four percent win uh, percentage, and then we got into in twenty eighteen when Rassi took over. Now Rassi took over as the director of rugby, and that was his role, and then dovetailed that with being the Springbok coach um, because he, I don't know, I, th- I can't remember, but I think he figured he just wasn't able to get anyone in at time at the right time. And then after that uh, 2019 World Cup win, he took his director of rugby role uh, more seriously and then uh, Jacques Ninaba went in. So Rassi, 26 matches, 65% win ratio. Um, and Jacques Ninaba, 27 matches so far with a 59%, 59.2. So yeah, 59. Cooks, I'm going to, I'm dumping this straight on you, mate. What, what happened? Like, what are your thoughts on, on what Russi's implemented and done? And, and do you think it's, I mean, I don't know. It's really hard to say it hasn't been good because of what happened, but where did it all go wrong and how did they pull it back? Oh man, I think. Well, I mean, I must say, Rusty is the head coach. Went off to probably the best two-year start ever. I mean, you go winning Wellington, you beat you 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 beat a very good English side. I mean, another sort of dipping after the great run in sixteen seventeen, but you beat the English side here at home, which I think a lot of people at that time probably would have felt that England were probably one of the few times were actually favourites coming to South Africa for a series and then going to win, going to win the Rugby World Cup. Um, and then yeah, I think I think what went wrong probably is we're, we're still going through that phase of that phase from Jake to Peter to Alistair that have I've always I've always it always annoyed me that every time with people coaches it, was, it felt like it was, it was four years and then break things up again. New coach comes in, build for four years, break things up again. And and I think with, with the rest of sort of halted their progress of winning the World Cup and I mean 2016, 17, I mean, geez, Sean, where do I start? Uh, <laughs> um, man. It was. It's, it's hard, eh? Therapy. Yeah, no, it's hard. But I think a lot. I think 
even as a rugby, those those to- those turmoil behind the scenes and the, the, there's just so much going on. Even like with Alistair taking over under the cloud of having to have his own management. I mean, as a rugby picking his management team for him, and then we, we could only pick box who would only play thirty tests over played over thirty tests if they're overseas. So there's there's so much going on at the time. And there's so much change happening, and 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 then obviously like it's oh, then the results and just did not go to plan. I mean. We, Losing to Italy, I mean that's that's never easy. And then I mean Albany, the the Durban is. Everyone speaks about Albany against the All Blacks, but they forget against Durban in 2016 and the All Blacks also put 50 on us here in Durban. And I think it's the last time Durban may have. Oh no, they they played Argentina last year, but I don't think they'll see the All Blacks again anytime soon. But I just think yeah, Raza took over from a very very dark 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 patch, and I think what sort of helped him is as director of rugby is that he was. I think obviously we 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 dropped the rule of. That that we could pick anyone, so no more picking guys over thirty caps to come play for the Springboks. That definitely helped in Rassi's favor, and then I think it was, it was obviously able to maintain, to build, and sort of set up SRB for the next twenty years now. Um, I think, yeah, I think a lot has changed since then. I think now we are still one of the best sides in the world, and I think the the only thing you probably say with Rassi is tenure, especially with him being director of director of rugby post rugby World Cup. I think that's all dependent on how the Springboks doing. In this year's World Cup, because I think a lot of yes, we lost. I mean, losing no rugby in, in twenty twenty, no one can could have forecasted that. But I think to sort of sum up Rassi's term as director of rugby, I think as a coach, is obviously winning the World Cup, and as director of rugby, is how well the box do now because yeah, you know, sort of everything's been shifted and been geared towards the rugby World Cup. I think as even Springbok fans, there has been a little bit more leniencies when we do lose games. It's been like, oh, but we're playing for the World Cup. We don't win the championship. Oh, but we're playing for the World Cup. So. The result of the World Cup sort of dictate how we look back at these last three years. But um, yeah, I think like I said where it went wrong. Oh, just, it, it, was, it, was, it was tough to be a Springbok fan, tough to watch the Springboks during those dark times. And listen, to go from those dark times to, to bringing back a World Cup, I still think is an incredible, incredible achievement. And yeah, so I think with Rusty, I mean, he has done a very good job. You can't, you can't fault him on that. And I think I, I'm just excited to see how it sort of, how it sort of how it tapers down now and how it ends come twenty twenty three World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Yo, I tell you, just looking back in my mind about the Alistair Kutsia time and, and just before that with with Heineken Mayer, how he ended his sort of coaching stint was um yeah, those were those were tough. Tyler, do you I mean I obviously I'm big big style about succession planning and stuff. Do you think that what Erasmus has done as director of rugby and the plans he's put in place have have really put us in a much better space for like say six, seven years ahead, or do you think we still haven't created enough of that yet? So I think there's two aspects of this. I think there's the uh, like if you get a broken car, you restore it, which I think obviously Erasmus did well. And we obviously can see the fruits of that in the Rugby World Cup. And I mean, I think Rassi Rasmus himself has said this, that they weren't expecting to win the World Cup in 2019. That the age profile, the cap profile of the Springbok team that he picked um, for the 2019 Rugby World Cup, that was supposed to be good now in 2023. Because you can see with a lot of our players, the key players are pretty much in that twenty late 20s to early to mid-30s age range. A lot of them are 50 caps, all that sort of stuff. Like, we're supposed to only be good now. Mm. So 
the World Cup in a way happened, and this is typical of South African rugby, the Rugby World Cup win happens in the wrong sequence. You know, you usually, every other team that has won the Rugby World Cup is good for the two, three years before the World Cup. And the World Cup is almost the peak of their achievement. If not, you know, they maybe peak a little bit afterwards. South Africa will start their journey with a Rugby World Cup win, <laughs> peak a year or two later, or just find themselves randomly winning a World Cup like in 1995 and somewhat arguably in 2019. And then, like, their best teams just don't win World Cups, like 1999, for example. So mm. it, I think the first thing is, was the restoration job good? I think it was good. But even then, like, it's so it's crazy just looking at results back. I was just looking through as Cooks and you were talking about, like, just the Alistair Kutsia results, that he's two wins away. Like, a penalty kick against Wales and Italy, he has a 50% record. Rassi, for example, is... You know, a few points away in, you know, in that game in Wellington, um, in the October game against France. And now he's, you know, bordering on 50% as a win record as well. Mm. And yeah, if maybe the World Cup doesn't go the right way and all that sort of stuff, we're not looking at this era being, or the Rassi Rasmus Leaks, the coaching part, being as successful as it could have been. So it's, yeah, like, it's so interesting, obviously, the, the fine margins that sports has. In terms of your yeah your question, Sean, I think it's the problem that I see now. Just looking after this World Cup, like Cook said, we've put all of our eggs into the or a lot of our eggs into the Rugby World Cup winning basket. After the Lions win, and obviously given the circumstances of not having rugby in twenty twenty, the it was basically all systems go try to win the Rugby World Cup because we can't really do the whole. Um, be as dominant as New Zealand thing from the 2010s, which is the one, I think the main, I think, disappointment I think some South African fans have with this sort of Ninaba era that we have a team that's as good as most teams that we've had in our history, or at least in the re- recent history, and we haven't been able to really get best better than, you know, winning three out of five. You know, we win one or two, maybe win three in a row, then we lose one. Or we win two in a row, then we lose one. So we they haven't had that consistency that I think this team could really have if they really focused on being as good as they can be test by test. So I think we have a playing group that, you know, we have a lot of success in our playing group. I think we'll be in good stead for, you know, the next draft of retirements and people leaving the setup. Because I think in most positions, we have someone that is either in their early to mid-20s, they've been introduced to test rugby, they can step in when Dwayne leaves, when Polisi leaves, um, Elizabeth leaves, when et cetera, et cetera, all those players leave. In terms of the coaching, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, we expect that someone like Mzwandile Stick or Dion Davis will take over from Jacques Ninova. If Rassi stays as director of rugby, which he looks like to be staying until 2025. Now, obviously the questions are, is that the right thing for South African rugby? Are we staying maybe with a model that we need to change up? I mean, we see the example with New Zealand. They stayed with basically the same coaching group from 2003 up until now. And there's definitely a bit of a downwards turn from 2017 onwards when, you know, you, yeah, things get a bit stale somewhat. And it only, New Zealand's now only sort of picking up again, at least recently. Why? Because it brought in new outside people. So that's going to be the key. Whoever's picked as the new head coach, the key would be hopefully bringing in one or two great outside voices that can really just 
you know, revitalize and give some new ideas to how we do things. And I think, you know, if it would be great if we can have Rassi Rasmus as then this direct, that can be more of a director of rugby than, <laughs> you know, a pseudo head coach. So that we do have that outside, um, you know, like someone looking at the broader picture side in rugby, because I think there's going to be some big decisions that we need to make about how professional rugby or men's professional rugby works in South Africa for the next few years, you know, with obviously our involvement in the URC and in Europe and, you know, how players are managed and where our players are playing and all that sort of stuff. We need someone that can make those outside calls and we need someone that can then also make the calls to equip whoever's the new Springbok head coach with the right people. So I think this is obviously a lot better than the, the past because in the past, like Cook said, it was you've got your four years and then you get out of the seat and then the next person comes in. This actually was a, a form of succession and not, okay, we're going from, because you know in the NFL, they talk about coaching trees. Like this one comes with Belichick coaching tree and all that sort of stuff. Like we had like the Jake White person then we had Peter de Villiers who came in randomly. Then we went to Heineken Mayer, who's a different coach from Jake White. Then we went back to the Jake White coaching tree with Kutsia. And Kutsia and Rassi were sort of working together. So that made some sense. But obviously, that couldn't, they couldn't work together in that particular stage. So this makes a lot more sense that you go with a certain line of coaches and then you turn into a new line of coaches. This is how the New Zealanders have done it and it should work for us as well. So yeah, I think... In general, I think the the restoration part was good. I think the world domination part could have been better somewhat. And obviously, a lot will a lot of what Jacques Niabat does will be tested on whether we win the regular cup, which I don't really like, to be honest. But yeah, it's sort of the position they've put themselves in. Because ultimately, if if there isn't a rugby world cup win, Niab and Rassi sort of combined have had a 60-odd percent win record and which is pretty much run of the mill with all of the other good rock coaches. I think Taylor, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I think um one thing Rassi Erasmus did is sort of bring back a sense of pride again in the Springboks. I mean, it was a tough times in 2016-17. I think it, it just the results and you know and the way World Rugby also looked at the Springboks, you know, I, I just um it 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 was a tough it was a tough time and you, and you were coming off the loss to Japan in the 2015 World Cup and Heineken Mayer's run and and Heineken Mayer's run, especially in the country, you look at how it's like you do transformation and and and, and just the, it wasn't in a good space. You know, I, mean, I remember someone like Sia Colisi, I think, played a game in that World Cup and and and, and, and those players like John Dion, guys like that were putting up their hands and just weren't getting game time. And there's such a negative space around the end of the Heineken Mayer sort of era then straight into the Alistair Kutsia area where there's just like super transformation and then like every and, and sort of I think Alistair Kutsia sort of almost also found the weight of that and I think what Rassi brought back was the sense of pride again in the Springboks and and yes he did win and then but those the, the, I think now the Springboks are in a place where I don't think a Springbok side has, has, has been more loved by South Africa as it is now in terms of just the full-on support that everyone has for the side and just the genuine positivity around the Springboks, especially coming, I just remember coming off that World Cup, yes, it was COVID, and then sort of when Chasing the Sun came out, you could just sort of sense and the excitement for what, what people felt for it. And, 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 and I think with that, I think with that pride comes sort of as the Africans is we want to win. And I think it's a good thing for us to expect 
more from the Springboks. You see, like, like Talos makes a great point. I just felt the All Blacks, I mean, the Springboks, they remind, every 19 remind me a lot of the 2011 All Blacks. The 2011 All Blacks that won the World Cup, they probably weren't at their very best best, but a lot of the players there played a key role for the dominate in the, in the 2010s. Earlier, first of the 2010s into 2015, where they walked in as favourites and basically almost blew the competition out the water. And I, and, I, and I thought the Springboks essentially, I mean, yes, Ireland and France improved, but I, I felt that we could have sort of also make that switch with our players getting better. And obviously, COVID, COVID came, and I thought just thought we'd still be able to at least come back with one, two actually rugby championship, but minimum one in these four years. Um, we still have chance to win this weekend. You never know if um, Australia can pull up a miracle and we just hammer Argentina, but we, one can only hope. But um, come on, Cox, come on, Cox. <laughs> but um, I think <laughs> I think that's the that's a, sort of a good place for us to be. And it is to expect a lot from the Springboks, and, and I think I've, I've always maintained that in the pod is that sometimes I may be, I may seem, I put on Twitter like I may seem harsh, a little bit harsh, but I, I do think the box were good enough to be seventy percent. In the, in, in the last three years. And you're right, there are games here and there that went away from us, but we're still in a position now that a lot of sides fear the Springboks. No one wants to play the Springboks. Probably, you can ask, you could, most national teams, they, they don't look forward to playing the Springboks. It's, 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 a, it's, it's no one wants to draw the Springboks. It was maybe probably, maybe Bar and the All Blacks who seem to always play well against us, or maybe have a, a pseudo contract with Ian Foster to keep him in the job, but who knows? Uh, but um, I, I still think um, that the sense of pride that Russ has brought back in this area, him and Jacques Nina, about something that can't be that can't be mistaken. I mean, it's the the, the content that comes out from the group. Um, Zonilla sticks press conferences with Sia leading up to games on a Friday. Um, Russ's tweets, where were they going to go? It's always interesting. It's always something happening with the box, and most of the time, nine times out of ten, it's actually positive and something that I feel as the, the country's gotten. So feels a lot more attached and more connected to the side. And I think they're probably the most relatable Springbok side we've ever had. That's what I was looking for. And that's a job that I, th- I think is incredible. And it, it just shows the, the amount of work that Rassi, the planning. And I mean, we know they're meticulous planners. The only thing they struck, the, the only time their planning fails is when they, is when they go to test with no, with no real goal kicker. That's the only time their planning sort of falls away. But um, other, other than that, um, <laughs> True, they, they, sort of ticked, they sort of ticked every single box from, Winning to playing to to um like so like social responsibility how transformation um how the side is viewed and and that is something that goes beyond just a win percentage and that's something I think is a big legacy that Rassi and Jogina will be proud of. Yeah, I just want to emphasize that point, Cooks, and I think it's an important point to make that it yeah it just took the sort of the Rassi Rasmus era to get the whole transformation. Uh, equation in South African rugby, and they've done it really well. And I think it's it's, I think in your KPIs when you know the coaches sit in front of South African rugby, obviously you know the wins, the development of players, and all that sort of stuff. But transformation is probably the third, maybe fourth most important thing. And they've nailed that. I think obviously, like you know. Uh, I think from a like you said, like the vibes and the good feeling and the 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 feeling, the, the social cohesion that it's brought has been great. I mean, every um, advert on TV makes you want to cry for the Springboks, uh, number one. And you've t- 
talked about all of the other opportunities as well. But I think just in terms of the the upfrontness they've been about, you know, this being an objective of theirs and something that they own and something that they take responsibility for, and just the willingness to give, you know, players of color chances that at least the perception was wasn't really the case in most other Springbok eras or coach eras was a big difference between this era and, and previous eras. And this made a big difference, I think, in getting the buy-in of the whole country in, in, in terms of understanding it. And I mean, for people that are listening that are not South African, like, I mean, if you know your rugby, you know how uh, you, you know that it's associated with the history of the country and that this is something that's quite big is to nail the whole sort of almost divide in, in our society as well. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't something that, you know, Rassi didn't do something too revolutionary. It wasn't like a Nelson Mandela or whatever. All he did was just be upfront about it, made it a priority and, you know, was, you know, he acted according to his words as well. And, and he gave players opportunities, black and white as well. And he, and he was able to support players and, you know, even almost to a fault, you know, obviously every few weeks we have <laughs> certain um, usual suspects like JC Creel or Alton Yankees or whatever, always being complained about them being given chances. But that's the good thing. It wasn't a one test wonder for someone and then they're thrown out, which was the perception for many coaches before that, you know, certain player, black or white, gets a chance or gets one test and then they're gone. And another player gets 20 tests and then they are staying. But in this case, most players have gotten multiple chances and, you know, they've almost lived and died by their own sword, which is a lot better. I mean, even beyond transformation, that's just a better way to run a team as well. So that I think is an important point, I think, to emphasize that that was a big success here and hopefully something that we can build upon because, you know, obviously the challenges of, you know, transforming our society and transforming rugby aren't obviously all solved in the last six years. So there'll still be work that needs to be done at all levels. But, you know, if the head coach is taking it from the front or the director of rugby is taking it from the front, it makes the the the, the job a lot easier. Amazing uh, finish there, Tala. That was that was awesome. And I agree wholeheartedly. It's been it's been an amazing experience. And I think, <clears throat> you know, the big things from specifically from a rugby point of view. Is, and stuff that we highlighted uh, that you guys have highlighted that has been such a major issue is this four-year to four-year issue, you know, like a, a new broom sweeps clean every four years, like knew this, knew that. It was, it was killing us. And the other thing was, um, is, is, you know, that you touched on, Tyler, uh, was like the age group and the age factor. We, we've got guys that if... You know, if we lose a core of our team that retired due to retirements or whatever reasons, we've got a, a bulk of guys that are, are able to to take it up and are basically knocking on the door. So we're in a good space. Um, but yeah, gentlemen, thank you very much. And to all of you guys and girls for listening to the Rugby Bits Pieces episode one. It was uh, It was amazing. We'll be bringing you a lot more. Please don't forget to like, share and spread the word. And uh, we'll be back on your favorite podcast space soon. And pieces. <laughs>